0: Welcome to Purpose 360. We're so delighted to have Jonathan Yohannan with us today. He is the former vice president of public relations at Panera Bread. Since we taped this interview, John was lured to the big city, New York, to become senior vice president of integrated communications um, at KIND, both wonderful companies but it's too early to interview John about kind so we asked his permission if we could air the Panera segment and he said absolutely of course he did check with the folks at Panera so Jonathan can you tell us a little bit about your background what you do and about your um, work at Panera
2: so I've been with Panera for five years. My my title is uh, Vice President of PR, Social Media, as well as Societal Impact. But I've been in the CSR space since 1996. I started out um, working for Share of Strength in D.C., doing some NGO work, and then worked at a PR agency um, on the West Coast, and then spent 10 awesome years uh, at Killing Communication, working with a variety of clients from Timberland to Nestle to Starbucks. Jonathan,
0: I just love Panera. Um, No matter where I go, especially when I go to visit my retired horse in Kentucky, I go to Panera for lunch. Last summer, you had this amazing strawberry salad with some goat cheese, and not only did I go there for lunch, but then I came back for dinner. It was just scrumptious. Panera's philosophy, food as it should be, it's just, it permeates everything that you make, the feeling in the store, and... Chris, as you know, I know if are you a panera lover as well?
1: I am actually a panera lover, so uh, it's it's our go to spot when you know juggling kids and moving through the world like you do. And oh, we went from a taekwondo practice or something else, and there's no time. How do you get something good and healthy into the kids and and panera's on, on our regular routine?
0: That's so marvelous that the panera is a regular routine, Chris. So let's get into it. The name of our podcast is Purpose 360, and as many of you know, I've been working in the field for over 30 years. Of course, I started really young. It's so exciting to see companies deeply embed their purpose at their center, and I can't think of a better company than Panera. So, John, can you talk about what it's like to live inside a company that lives and breathes its purpose from the inside out, talking about food as it should be?
2: Honestly, for me, it's a playground. And so being able to be in-house and actually have an influence on policy and to be with a company that truly, and I think if you do talk to executives around the business, it's like, how do we do right by our own families and our own kids so that the policies and the decisions and the food that we serve, we want to make sure that we're proud of it. And our founder, Ron Shake, who, you know, he would say, this isn't a five-year thing, a 10-year thing. This is who we've always been. It's about having real options, real information, real ingredients. Um, and we, ultimately, we want to be proud of what we serve. And, you know, on a number of issues, uh, if it doesn't hit that threshold, then we've done something wrong. And he always said, like, if you're not proud of it, reformulate. And he's very, you know, now he's our, our chairman. We have a new CEO who's awesome as well. But uh, but yeah, for food as it should be, um, a couple of our main areas of focus have been really pushing... Uh, you know, in 2003, we were one of the first brands to remove uh, antibiotics from chicken. I mean, people weren't talking about that. A lot of the industry has now moved forward. 2007, we uh, removed uh, non-naturally occurring trans fats from the menu. Uh, 2010, we were the first national restaurant chain to post calories on the menu. And, you know, if you come to Panera and we have uh, a cookie.
0: Yes, those cookies. They are delicious. And they're hard to stay away from.
2: One in particular, the kitchen sink cookie. It is decadent. I don't even like cookies, but I do eat this cookie. And But it's 800 calories right? It's a shareable cookie. Hopefully you share it or maybe you don't share it, whatever you want. But for us, it's it's not... Again, about- they're
1: looking at me <laughs>
2: <laughs> about the not sharing
1: and uh, the food. Okay, yeah.
2: But we don't want to make people feel guilty. We want to give them options. Our cookies are going to be made with real chocolate. They're not going to be artificially colored. They're not going to be brightly colored with, you know, things off of the exit seven. I mean, the, the, the point is we want to be able to give people uh, real choices and real information to make their own, their own decisions. So that was in 2010. You know, they're still talking about legislation on that today. And it's for us. It's not waiting for government to make the decision. It's what are the right things that we can do now for our own kids, our own families, our own communities. And then probably one of the things more more that I'm, I'm proud of is in uh, 2013, I helped. Uh, I was part of a team to draft our food policy, which included a commitment to remove all artificial colors, flavors, sweeteners, and preservatives from our menu in uh, three years. Uh, we completed that, um, and then last year. Uh, from a transparency perspective, we became the nas- first national restaurant chain to post added sugars and calories at point of pour for beverages, mm, and great. on the physical cup itself. So, and we also don't just do that in grams; we do it in teaspoons because, uh, as we would say, the only people that know grams are drug dealers. Like, we want to <laughs> be able to, we want to be able yeah. to give it in something that a consumer right. can understand. So, That's if right, you're right. getting a full calorie cola, Godspeed. Like, I'm not going to judge you. I drink uh, cola, you know. Mm-hmm from time to time but there's 17 teaspoons of sugar you should know that right and we want to be able to give you options and to make that choice and uh we think that's really important how
0: did that posting of sugar within your drinks um impact consumption at the restaurants
2: um it actually you know as you've looked at historically um there have been some subtle shifts and i I can't tell you now carol but we'll probably have more to share later on the beverage um side in terms of the impact over the past year which will be really interesting uh but um to us, it's about uh, reinforcing trust and yeah. positioning ourselves as a wellness ally for our guests. And when you look at us being considered a wellness brand, whether it's brand trackers, whether it's continued uh, rise in sales, whether it's sort of the trust in the brand itself, no matter what's happened, we attribute a lot of the the decisions and the sort of the positions we've taken around around food uh, to sort of support that. In addition, I'll, I'll tell you one other thing: in two thousand and fifteen. We developed a kid's food promise.
0: I saw that and I was very impressed by it.
2: Why is that important? Because some of the larger fast food companies are the largest toy manufacturers mm-hmm. or sellers or providers in the world. We don't think that you should there should be a nag factor or that you should be making profits by getting kids to come into cafes in that manner. Um, we have… No, the, the
1: grilled cheese sandwich is temptation enough. <laughs> exactly.
2: And for my I son, mean, anyway. The tastes... other thing, too, is if you go to Europe or you go to other parts of the world, there is no such thing as a kid's menu.
0: And you've just made the entire menu available to kids. I mean, that's really um, – it's not easy to do, but it makes so much sense. Well, who decided that
2: chicken nuggets, pizza, and fries were the kid's menu with a toy? Were, and most of which is nutrient deficient uh, was was the way that kids' menu. So we, we now – there's hundreds of options now available for kids. You can pick any soup, salad, sandwich, and we have it in a half-sized portion. Um, it's just a way of sort of exposing kids to different kinds of foods. And, hey, my kid uh, loves the mac and cheese. She's going to continue to love the mac and cheese. She also loves salad with no dressing. So it's like let kids be picky and let's embrace that and not entice them with, you know, sugary beverages and toys. And, and the other big thing on that, Carol? We don't attach beverages. You know, there's a lot of profit in the beverage side of things. And for us, we feel like giving a kid a drink to go and point them to a fountain isn't necessarily the way that we, we want to sort of attach to that. It's more about providing a free water glass, which we do, and giving people the option to either add it or not. And parents the option to either add it or not to, to the food uh, menu.
0: So that's a big commitment. I mean, it's what you do, food as it should be. Simply said, that's how you perform. That's seeing as a consumer and as well as an outsider looking in that your purpose is at the center of your decision-making lens. So a question, John. Did you get any feedback from colleagues as you were trying to develop these policies and programs? It couldn't have been, ah, yeah, let's just do it.
2: No, I mean, I, I will say uh – uh it's challenging. I mean, when you look at 2014, when we committed to remove all of artificial additives by the end of 2016, there were many internally and externally that were like, well, are you going to wake up the sleeping giant? Do people already think they're getting a salad and the dressing? Uh, Why tell them that there's an artificial additive in it or a preservative? Why make them feel? And it's not coming out for two years. But for us, it's the trust factor. It's being able to sort of be honest and say, we're on this journey. We are far from perfect, Carol. Like, and I, I will tell you that, yeah, there's pushback, and there's, unless you stand, and you know this, you taught us this, unless you stand for something, right. and you don't get, if you don't get criticism, you haven't stood for anything.
0: So how did you convince your colleagues with the two-year timeline that this was the right thing to do? Of course, it was going to be hard, but retail is every day. It's instantly, it's quarters, it's not two years.
2: I mean, I, I will say we had full support of our chairman and uh, CEO, well, not chairman, but... uh and I think it's the culinary team was already moving in this direction for simpler ingredients. I think they saw the impact on taste, on quality and having an elevated experience. It's, we wanted to sort of aspirationally serve things you could find and the ingredients you could find in your home pantry. You shouldn't need a dictionary to be able to figure out like what the ingredients are. So for us, um, you know, it, it was we knew that it was right by consumers. And this is sort of the thing that sort of, I think drives a lot of the decisions we make, whether it's on kids menus or transparency is it's the 80, 20 rule. And are you on the 80% support of moms and kids and Mm -hmm. guests? Like, you know, there isn't a single guest that said, God, I really wish I had that artificial red dye and artificial (laughs) preservative back in that cookie. No, No. it's not. So for us, it's like,
1: would, Here's the preservative bar. Yeah. Just off
2: to the side. You can add them later. Exactly. Would, yeah. most, would most people agree that you're advocating for something that you wish the entire industry would right. do? Right. And those are
1: kinds of, of the positions we've been taking. So that, that's really that gives good insight on how you sort of embrace the philosophy, how you bring the consumer in, and then how you drive it to management buy-off. You also created a great marketing campaign around it. Once you've committed to that position, so can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, sure. I think uh, the key was simpler ingredients, and sometimes when you think of clean, it could be running a TV spot, which we did in a digital spot, which was our roasted turkey. It's salt, pepper, olive oil. Mm, you know, nice. it's the, there. It's simply made, and I think us being able to explain that. Uh, so there was some of that. In addition, we took some some stands. We developed a no no list, uh, which was uh, essentially a list of all of the artificial ingredients that would be coming out of our, our menu. And when you think about menus, and there's different brands, and um, I have a huge respect for my colleagues or, or uh, brethren at Chipotle as an example, but they have a smaller menu. Mm. We have 460 ingredients, oh. and it, it changes. So, And an ingredient could be a salad dressing, which, by the way, has six sub-ingredients.
0: Right. So
2: it was an incredible amount of collaboration with our suppliers, with our food team, Sarah Burnett, on our, you know, who our director of wellness, drove a lot of the, the development of this um, over time. But as we posted that no-no list, it was our pledge to consumers to say, this is what's coming out, and we updated it over time. So we changed what was in and what was out. Mm. So the list evolved over that two or three-year period, but it was, an, it, it was a way that we could really say, so it wasn't the ingredient du jour, you could see everything at once, it's on the website. We do this also with animal welfare. And I'll speak to that. I mean, uh, every year um, we bring in eight animal welfare organizations at once as a stakeholder engagement, seven or eight, it's depending. On, and around the table. Mm-hmm. And we agree on some things we don't agree. We might agree on plant-based proteins. There may be certain positions around animal welfare. We think that we can, you know, but it's a way for us to get insights on what matters, where to focus. And that what matters is, is the thing that keeps getting instilled within this. Mm. You can't do everything. So what are the two, three, four things? But back to the transparency thing, you can go to our website and see how many pounds of proteins, animal proteins we buy, what percentages against specific commitments, whether that's gestation crate free, whether that's our cage free um, egg commitment, where we are against that. You know, it, It's a way to quickly look at it without sort of saying, hey, by 2027 we'll be here. We wanted a place where, where um, consumers, stakeholders, and others could look and, and check. And you know, we're not perfect, and I, I can't guarantee that we're going to get to everything at the end, but we're going to at least tell you where we are along the journey.
0: And, and that's been a core part of Panera. I mean, really sharing uh, transparently where they are in the journey, that it is a journey. And I think that's really important for our listeners, that, it's, that sustainability and social purpose, it's not a f- switch that you turn on and off. It is something that is a constant and that you have wins and you have losses, but you need to have that energy to keep moving forward. You also do some really interesting things. A little tongue in cheek, but but, uh, Ron challenged the other QSR executives to eat for a week on their children's menu. I thought that was a riot. What was the response to that? We didn't get a lot of
2: response from uh, our competitors. I think it was really and I think he would say, I don't want to shame anyone. Mm-hmm. But really, as a year had passed since we had done our kids, the, the menus and the state of, of kids' menus has not evolved enough. Mm. And I think uh, we would say the nag factor continues to exist. The role of toys, characters, marketing to drive parents into and for kids to eat, you know, foods. I mean, I personally, I'll tell you, when my, my daughter was seven, we'd go to the supermarket. And even as you look at mozzarella sticks, or anything like that fresh mozzarella which is still a good yeah. or yogurt what she is gravitated to is the colors and the characters mm. and the brands and I know that personally I think most moms and dads and others probably feel that as well we wanted to remove that from from the cafe and this was just a way to say other executives are you proud of what you're serving yeah. would you be willing to eat it for a week do you think it's, you know, is it is it nutrition? How are you going to feel after eating your kid's meal for a week? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not eating nuggets, uh, hot dogs, and no. pizza every meal for a week. I, I wouldn't feel Even good. Even if it comes with a really good toy? The toy could be awesome. Right? Uh, the toy,
0: the toy could and be I'm not anti-toy, toy, but
1: you know what I'm saying. Well, I know. You, you, can't, you can't actually use plastic to
0: sell food. No. Or you shouldn't. No. Yeah. No, I think right. that's right. But I think that you also, can you... Talk a little bit about preservatives with purpose. You did some very innovative storytelling, and it ties back to being clean and transparent, and they're just awe-inspiring.
2: Yeah, I think we, we wanted to continue to sort of spark a dialogue in the industry. And so we did some provocative things in terms of taking artificial preservatives, which are commonly found in foods, and using them to, to do good things in the world. So there was a town in the Midwest where they hadn't had a fireworks display.
0: Yeah, wasn't it Johnson City?
2: Yeah, in Johnson City. <laughs> and we actually, uh, as a surprise, put on a fireworks display, really sort of highlighting the fact that preservatives are, have a role in society. They're great in fireworks, but they don't belong in food. And I believe, wasn't
0: that sodium benzoate?
2: Yes, exactly. And I, you know, some might argue that you're sort of, uh, are you picking on something that's innocuous? But for us, it's like, Do you want real rosemary or do you want something that's artificial? Do you do we need some of these ingredients on there, which a lot of times they've been uh, designed either to cheapen the cost of food or enhance shelf life. And we just wanted to spark a dialogue. And I I think um, there was mixed feedback on that honestly and it did what we wanted it to do you
0: almost had a million views and if you start looking at corporate videos which is something i do lots um they talk about values and characteristics and behavior they don't get any views they're not interesting they're corporate speak um you know a thousand views maybe ten thousand views but nothing north north of the millions um you did another really cool um spot with the boys and girls club can you talk about that one
2: yeah, we ended up uh, again taking preservatives and using it for good. So in the case, there was a boys and girls club that was decimated from a storm in Southern California, and we ended up uh, basically uh, replacing the floor, gym mats. Um, we re the the actual wood floor. Really invested in the local community. Again, as an illustration that these preservatives are awesome in gym mats, but I wouldn't want I them in draw. my you know sure. in my panini. Like that's just right. sort of. Um, How I would I would look at that. You also don't want
1: to do yoga on your flat. It
0: kind of leaves some funny stains on your knees, I would think. (laughs) Those two videos, and I I suggest to our viewers just go watch them. Are really really creative. You know, working with the Boys and Girls Clubs, Johnson City, the fireworks, showcasing real people in real cities with real challenges, and I think it's just great storytelling. I think you got to look. A little deeper, um, not just corporate speak, but look for the story that brings your social purpose positioning to life.
1: And so we've talked a little bit about um, internally how you make it work, how you make it work for the consumer, how you then start to market it. Talk about the partners. How do you embrace your partners? How do you grow
2: this circle? What I probably should have started with is, is this is all embedded or based on phenomenal stakeholder engagement. Okay. Look, we are not experts in everything. And when we were developing even our no-no list, we met with NRDC, CSPI, uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists. We met, we looked at uh, research and, that was happening in Europe of, of chemicals or ingredients of concerns. We, we looked at other lists like Whole Foods in terms of the work that they were doing around this and other brands. A lot of that informs our decision-making. And oftentimes, if we're making any kind of substantive stand, uh, for instance, on the, the kids' meal, Piece. There were registered dietitians and health professionals mm-hmm. that we engaged. Great. There were also organizations that are talking about marketing to kids. Oh, great! You know, great. so we try to sort of figure out like, what's that? What's that sort of? So who's at
0: the Panera internal table? Um, Who do you bring in uh, from various uh, business units across functionally? And also, do you bring your agencies with you? It depends. On the
2: stakeholder side, we tend to manage it all in-house. And the the reason for that is we want to have the face-to-face. And I also find that some of, I know we talked about the animal welfare groups coming to us. Um, Most of the time we go on the road.
0: We do. We visit. And
2: I think it's One, it shows a respect for the organizations, and two, I think it's a way for us to sort of engage at their level, and I think that's really
0: important. I think there's a couple of really important things here. Um, You go out into the field, and you show respect to those individuals that are at the center of those issues, that are really passionate about the issues, and you take the time, and you have conversations, and it's very, very relational, which is part of the Panera brand and experience. It's not just come in and go out, but sit here and, ha- and have a, you know, relax with the family, do your work. Um, it's a wonderful environment. Um, again, it's food as it should be. Uh, you know, when it was grown on a farm, it was relational and it was hard work and there was community. And that's what is a core to food as it should be. And,
2: you know, a lot of these issues are gray. You know, whether it's animal welfare or whether it's uh, and sometimes, you know, I'll give you one example. We looked at GMOs
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, uh, you know, I don't have all the answers. We all have a personal view of it. Uh, but given that we are a U.S. domestic company, yeah. the role of GMO is in soy, like embedded into the food supply. But uh, on that particular note, we had a day stakeholder session maybe two and a half years ago and brought in you know, Monsanto and Gary Hirschberg from, from, you oh, know, great. yeah. And Cornell. And yeah. it's the type of thing in that particular instance, we had a whole host of, of internal stakeholders from supply chain to culinary because they want to know mm-hmm. they too have a passion for food and want to understand. So on some cases it's cross-functional yeah. um, whether it's on, you know, food or, or other areas. And other times it's a one-on-one, basis to say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Are we crazy? What are we missing? Um, would you support this if we went out publicly? Um, where are the pitfalls? So we know before we make any kind of commitment what we think we're going to get. And again, uh, we know we're going to get criticism. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the deal. And it's okay as long as we the intent is right.
0: But you're showing your character. There's a humility there. There's an unknowing. There's a deep desire to develop relationships. And there's an understanding that you're on a journey. Um, The power of listening is so important, um, especially for companies that truly want to be part and parcel, listening to their customers, their employees, and their communities. Uh, You also, by the way, have a new owner. Um, So how much leeway um, will you have as you go forward?
2: Ron founded the company the culture is embedded in the organization. And I think it's, it's making decisions that again, will that consumers feel like, you know, that will make them feel like they trust you. Mm. You know, if it was your family, would you want this ingredient in there? Would you want to know this information? Is it a position that feels like is the right thing to do? Now, again, you can't do everything, but if it's core to your business and you know, we obviously have to make trade-offs and prioritize. So that's been consistent in terms of, um, you know, and now Blaine Hurst, who is our, our CEO, uh, he's phenomenal. He actually, uh, uh, used to be at Papa John's at CEO a long time ago. He spent a 20 plus year also in tech and it, he transformed the business by developing all of our commerce and mobile initiatives and, and, in, you know, brought delivery over and now is running the company. He's, he, he like Ron share the same philosophy about mm-hmm. doing right by customers mm-hmm. and, the. Uh, the rewards and the implications will will happen. And we've been rewarded over 25, 30 years. Even Ron, if he were here, he'd say, we were the best performing stock bar none in the restaurant industry before we sold over a 20-year period, before we sold to JB yeah. And yeah. that's that's above anyone. Uh, he outperformed Warren Buffett over that 20-year period.
1: Hmm. You guys really are. I mean, it, this is a great 360 story because you really are thinking about it from every point of view. The, the last one I want to touch on, if you yeah, can, sure is supply chain and vendors. So how does this philosophy get all the way out to purchasing those ingredients and, and you know getting to the consumer?
2: Yeah, we, we, I mean, we also work with a number, and we believe actually some of the stances we've taken, particularly on the clean side of removing artificial colors, flavors, sweeteners, or preservatives. If you look at the brands that have also moved in other directions, we believe we've helped influence that discussion mm-hmm. and also the capacity of vendors to be able to offer it to other folks. So I think that's a, All ships rise. Like, we love that. The fact that, you know, uh, Pizza Hut and other brands, McDonald's is even taking preservatives out of nuggets, and other brands are moving in that direction, even at different speeds, is a very good thing. So I think, as you look at the clean, uh, our position over that three years of pulling out those ingredients, I believe there's only one vendor that we stopped working with. Out of the, you know, countless vendors uh, that we that we, uh, engage with. And it's, it's a partnership, you know, they, they want to, you know, the thing about in the food industry and, you know, again, I'm not on the supply chain side, but if you want a blue tomato, they'll work with you to find a blue tomato. Right. <laughs> so I think it's as long as it's within reason right. and also on the farming side, it's a little bit more of a sensitivity, right? We're not farmers. Mm-hmm. So we have to have a really good collaboration with agricultural groups and learn from, and to figure out like what what makes sense, so it's sort of this three sixty stakeholder approach, yeah um, and then also being realistic about you know you uh, beef they don't grow in like three months,
0: yeah
2: you know it's like it's a long life cycle process some some things can happen quicker than others just based on the realities of agriculture and crops and how they change so. <laughs>
0: And how about plant-based? There's a lot of momentum uh, beyond um, entrepreneurs uh, creating all sorts of plant-based products. So uh, what are we going to see in the future of Panera and plants?
2: I think, you know, as, as you look at it, uh, we know, uh, the, you know the impact in terms of environment, health, human health, and sustainability. There's, there's no question there's a connection. Uh, we actually introduced last year. Do you know this? Uh, you can search the menu by plant-based items.
0: I didn't know that. That's incredibly innovative and forward-thinking. And
2: kiosk and mobile represents $1.3 billion of sales last year and will be $2 billion by the end of this year. Really? It's a significant part of our business, right. um, and that includes going in to order at the kiosk, mm-hmm. um, but primarily now ordering from your mobile phone or from the web. I can order from my mobile phone, and three weeks out, I can pick a bookshelf anywhere at a Panera in America and have it there within a ten-minute window. Yeah. So, and I think that ability to be able to get the food yeah. you want of right. quality in a window that works for you, and at mobile and web, particularly, you can take on, take off ingredients. You can sort by plant-based. You can, you're able to sort of. Adapt the menu to eat the way that you want, and then you
0: have home delivery now, and it's your own delivery system. That blew me away. It's not using Grubhub or somebody else. Why did you make that decision? A couple
2: of uh, reasons. One is, uh, and we hired thirteen thousand drivers over the past a year and a half um, or so. But the reason for it, uh, one. we wanted to be able to provide the level of service that you'd expect from coming to a Panera. So having our own mm. drivers made a lot of sense. The geography of where we go and also the volume that we do at lunch at lunch mm. would make it very difficult for third parties to provide. And plus, we want to maintain um, the, the quality of the customer relationship and not have necessarily an intermediary. Half of our uh, guests and customers are on the My Panera card. Mm. Um, we have... 30 million My Panera members, we serve 10 million people a week and being able to, to have that sort of one-to-one relationship with our guests, whether it's information, learning from them about new menu items, being able to, to listen to what they hope or or their hopes for the, the brand in the future because they ultimately own the brand.
0: That's so well stated. Um, gee, we're so sad that we're going to end uh, this discussion soon. We could certainly go on forever. So what else would you want to share with our listeners? What haven't we asked you? Um, Any additional insights?
2: I I think it's, you know, really being focused on the customer. And, you know, and the other thing, if you're internal, it's focus on what matters. And oftentimes, it's one or two things for a year. Mm, It's not getting 100 little things done. It's really being hyper focused on where you can have the most influence, what's most meaningful to your business with the multitude of stakeholders and staying on it. Like, don't get off of it. And I know it's tempting with the myriad of issues you can imagine sustainability uh, to say, hey, we got to do this, we got to do this. And I'm not saying that they're not worthy. There every, a lot of things are worth, but you have to stay focused if you're really going to make a, a meaningful difference for, for your brand.
0: So my last question is going to put you on the spot. I hope you don't mind. I think our, you know, over a decade relationship will allow me to do this. How do you feel as an employee, as a colleague working for Panera, but also as a parent?
2: I'm incredibly uh, proud. I have to tell you I, a lot of stuff, which, you know, I can't tell you what's happening in the next six to 12 months. We have some, some cool things happening, but I do run it by Sierra. And I say, hey, you know what I'm working on? And you know, there are there are some things this fall that I am incredibly proud of that we're going to do. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's what that's what keeps me there. It's a ha- it's a playground, being able to to really sort of sell in ideas, work with with like minded, committed people in different disciplines, whether it's supply chain, culinary, our leadership, to really drive change. And uh, and you know, but at, at the same time, drive the business. We're growing, we're doing really well, but also we can have an impact that uh, makes me feel proud and, uh, and good to be at Panera.
0: You know, I've heard that playground story from another individual we recently interviewed. When you have great leadership that is integrating purpose from the center of the company outward, and they're living and breathing it in a highly authentic way, no day is the same. Of course, some days are better than others, but when you have that purpose north star on the horizon, it gives you that extra wind at your back to truly power through challenges and develop new ideas. And at the end of the day, feel really, really proud. So I can't wait to utilize your lunch delivery. I'm going to wait, for, I think, for the summer because I really want that strawberry and goat cheese salad. And I'd like to leave today with our question for our listeners that we ask all the time What's your purpose?